This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So what we're going to talk about is we're going to start talking about like how encounters can actually change us. So for those of you who are new, I see some new faces here in the audience at New Church Live. We share a lot. I'd also invite our online audience to text in an answer to this question for, for me. What encounter changed you this week? This is to get us warmed up. So to get us warmed up, let's all stand up, get a little stretch, and what I want you to do is just say your name and just share real quickly with someone around you what encounter changed you this week. What encounter with someone changed you this week? Please share. It is, it is funny, right? When we start looking at that, like how, how those encounters in life change us. Somebody said standing underneath a 3,000-year-old tree, like how wow, that changes them. And and then people, and one of our young adults in here just got their driver license. There's an encounter. And, uh, it, you know, there's even somebody who just graduated from college. You know, there's, there's an encounter. And these beautiful encounters, you know, we have out there in life. You know, and, and, and it's interesting, right? Because we don't tend to always look at those as learning experiences. You know, I think there's something is so much part of us that, that tends to be driven by fear that we pull in, we pull in, we pull in, we pull in. And we're so afraid of failure that we end up making our circle much smaller than I think what God, what God intends for us. So we've been looking in this series about how do we start to break that circle open. Now this is the third part of our series. Who can give a shout out that first Hebrew word there on the top left? Who wants to say? Tov. Can we all say Tov together? Tov. It's, it's the word like God did all this creation stuff. And he kept on saying, he said, we need to value the good. You know, it's all good or very good. He did not say perfect. Anybody with a perfect life raise their hand. We got one. All right. We got one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. See you after church. I, you know, I have perfect, like we tend not to have perfect lives. There's always little areas, growth edges, as they would call them. But life is good. Actually, it's very good. And then last week, we looked at regrets. How do we keep clear on, please say the question with me, how do we keep clear on why I was sent? You know, we looked at Christ's thing. He had, a, he had a chance to sort of launch this big thing, get all these people around him, and he continues on his itinerant path. And he said, I have to keep on that itinerant path because that's why I was sent. And it's that clarity about life. Yeah, this is why I said, because regret is a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda. And when we get clear, what's the message? What's the mission we're to be faithful for? It allows us to move away from regret in very powerful ways. And it's, it's been an interesting week, like watching as, as that, um, you know, just as a pastor, how life has unfolded. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this question, encounters and, and how do encounters change us? You know, and, for me, like, we've had quite a week in New Church Live. We had a, have a wedding, uh, you know, a funeral, a baptism, and church. In, in baseball terms, that's hitting for the cycle. And it was interesting, you know, talking, uh, talking with people who are in all different parts of life, some very precious and, and some equally precious but broken. And what you realize is those encounters, those encounters are so powerful. And I want to share one with you that just meant a lot to me, just had me thinking. I, you know, this was a, was a father who, who lost his, his son. 
and I, you know, I presided at the, at the funeral service for it. So I'm talking with the family, and, and, and he's saying, Chuck, you know, I, this just amazed me. The members of my volunteer fire company, they came over and they cut our grass. Simple little thing, right? And it's, it's very hard for me to do the facial expression he had. And then he, he leans in again. I can't recreate the facial expression. He leans in and he goes, Chuck, they even took the grass clippings. Now, do you know how precious that is? You know, there's an encounter, a small little thing that actually changed him and him sharing it with me changed me. And we're going to hear a lot of stories like that today where these, where these encounters can actually change us. And I want to go back to one of the most popular Bible stories about an encounter that changed someone. And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if, if you were, you know, sort of are very familiar with Christianity, this is one, maybe the most well-known of all Christian stories. I know we have a lot of people who don't have a Christian background, so just listen to it. This is, this is Christ offering a teaching here. And before we go into it, just remember, Samaritans at that time, they were sort of considered the down and out. For just so for a Samaritan to have been a hero in a story was immensely important. So I want to read it to you. Then we're going to take a look at some passages up on the, up on the screen to, to talk about how significant this is. The parable of the Good Samaritan. This is from the story in Luke. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. In other words, this is a clergyman to see. He's testing him. This is a clergy person testing. Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I need to do to get to heaven? What's written in the law, he said, how do you read it? And it's beautiful line. Christ is constantly answering a question with a question. He's like, well, you follow the law. How do you, how do you see the law? Like, what do you see? I'm curious. I want to know. And then he answered. And you can imagine he feels like the kid who's got the right answer in class. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wanted to sort of get into a little self-puffery here. So he asked Jesus, and who? This is sort of your honor, I object. And who is? And who is the neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, from the holy city out to an outlying city, a small little outpost. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, going down the same road, that meant he had just come from Jerusalem, the holy city, the center of all religious knowledge. He was on his, his way back from church, essentially. And notice what he did. And again, like, think priest here. Think Christ is kind of pointing at this guy in a pretty subtle way. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... A Samaritan, could we all go, ooh, ooh, like a Samaritan, like most people go, ooh, a Samaritan. That's the, they're from the bad part of town, all that stuff. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do 
likewise. What's interesting about this story for me is what shifted here? What shifted here? So I get it. He saw this man. He saw him by the side of the road. He picks him up. He puts him in on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. So, so be kind of like us. If you saw somebody hurt, you know, they were in a bad bicycle accident by the side of the road. Yeah, I'd pick him up and I'd either call an ambulance or I'd put them in my car and take them to the hospital. That would be good, right? Please say yes. Yeah, that, that'd be good. Well, this guy takes it one step further. The next day, he took out two denarii, which was a substantial amount of money, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Folks, don't let this, don't let this just breeze by. It's one thing to take someone to the hospital. It's another to pay for rehab. And it brings the question, folks, please say it with me. What shifted here? See, and this story's kind of set up. Now, again, not all of you will know this, but some of you will. Probably about half of you will know this. It's interesting with that word in, it only comes in a couple of places in the Bible. And these people, this would have been an oral, oral tradition. So they would have heard these stories. They would have heard them out loud. Remember the last time someone went to an inn earlier in the Bible looking for help? Who was that? Mary and Joseph. And what were they met with? Closed door. Can we all say no room at the inn? No room at the inn. So you can imagine, like, they're getting all this story set up. There's people around a fire listening to this story of the Good Samaritan thousands of years ago. And guess what? There was room at the end. There was room at the end. A totally different story that, that Christ is telling here, an incredibly beautiful one. But we can get sort of bollocks up. You know, I feel like in our lives, and New Church Theology puts it this way. New Church says, look, you can look at, look at kind of religion one of two ways, and you see that mirrored in this story. We can see it as purely a head thing, or we can learn eventually to see it as a heart thing. Truths of faith is what we would call that, good of life. You know, what are the good things you're doing out there serving? And clearly, when you look at this story, the, the, the priest, and we all have a priest part of us. It's not like picking on one particular class. I think we all have that, that person in us. You know, it just looks at it purely as the facts. And then there's this other part that Christ is trying to bring alive, and that's the heart part. That's the hard part. See, if we're in our heads, I want to use these words from Rachel Held Evans. I think this is where we can go. If I'm in my head... And I'm into the idea that I've got to focus on being Jesus to other people, to others. What can that mean? Focusing so much on being Jesus to others means missing the moments when someone is being Jesus, please say those last two words, being Jesus to you. It's all one way. You are so lucky I was on that road. You are so lucky I saw you. You're so lucky I'm a good enough guy that I pulled over my donkey to pick you up. You know, and we can get into that. That's an ego game that's sort of, you know, masquerading as faith. I remember this about fundamentalism. This is from Rachel Held Evans. I remember this about fundamentalism. The and the, the pressure and the pride of bringing light to an otherwise dark world. So, so that's what she's talking about here. When we come from this place, there's a lot of sort of pride of like, I actually have light that I'm able to give you because you are in darkness. Pretty challenging. 
You shine a flashlight in someone's eyes, you blind them. You shine a flashlight in someone's eyes, you blind them. And, and there's, there's also that pressure part of it too, where it's, it's just this huge pressure of like, look, I've got to save this person. I, I remember traveling on an airplane and the guy like asked me one question about new church and I gave him the worst plane ride for the next two hours he ever had. You know, the guy was like, there is a nutty Swedenborgian. I'm out of here. You're way too much. TMI. But that was that pressure and that pride. If I have something, can't wait to give it to you. Doesn't work so well. Instead, maybe we can go to something different. See, it never occurred to me that the other people outside my tribe had blessings to, to give me that I might learn something from them too or something from them also. Think back, the story, there's a gap, what shift, how does that all connect? We're going to pull it all together. Next slide here. See, I think this can be the part where we start to come from the good of life, from the very goodness of life. Like, like yesterday, or a couple of days ago, I did a, did a wedding, and it just, you know, I stopped the couple there for a minute because I just wanted them to get, like, do you get how good life is? In this moment, do you get how good it is? Yes, broken. Yes, filled with pain. Yes, filled with life. And it's good. Christianity is not a program, but a journey. A journey we allow God to unfold. So it's this journey that we do. It's a trip. A journey of purposeful encounter. You know, that's a big one. A purposeful encounter. That, that idea of like looking at the encounters you have in your life and trying to see like, yeah, there's a purpose here. When, we, when then we take a risk, the risk of being transformed, excuse me, we then take a risk. The risk of being, please say the T word there, the risk of being transformed, transformed. Can we say transformed? I want this to really be loud. Can we say transformed? Transformed. How would Jeff Light say it? Transformed. He'd say it that way. Jeff Lights was our singer here. So, you know, like, like that transformed, like it's about a transformation. It's not transactional love. Transactional love is based on a list, sort of a Santa Claus view. You do this, you get a gift or you get coal. Like, that's not what this is about. This is about transformational love in our encounter with the other, with a capital O, in the other, the small O. We start to see and encounter God in other people. And then the relationship shifts. It shifts in dramatic ways. I think, folks, that is so important because so many of us wrestle with these three things in our life. Most of our struggles start with a struggle over meaningless around the purpose of life, insufficiency in our relationships, alienation from one, from, from one another. Meaningless, insufficiency, alienation. Now, as the band comes out, just look at the acronym there, folks. What's the acronym? MIA. So what happens is that we tend to be missing an action in our lives. We see a lot of meaningless, like, what is this all about? We see a lot of insufficient relationships that aren't quite measuring up to our standard. We feel a lot of alienation one to another. And I feel like we're really being asked to move through this. Like, I think this is very much a universal human experience. Faith is about what can connect us to that thing greater. That thing where we can have our own insecurities in life, all those worries, meaningless insecurities, alienation, all that stuff. And what I can do is I can step over. 
what I can do is I can park that and I can start to step over. And what we need to do to do that is we have to be brave. We have to be brave. We have to witness to each other's courage and to each other's bravery. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how that can specifically look and how it's looked at a wonderful church out in California. Up a little bit here. Let's stand up a little bit. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce an amazing pastor. I did New Church Live because Dave Childs asked me. She did her church because God asked her. So with that, please give Anna a standing, rousing ovation as we welcome Anna Wolfen. Thank you. It's great to be here. I wasn't kidding about the rain. Sit down, sit down. Seriously, it's really dry in California. We need your rain. If you get tired of it, please send it our way. It's such a joy to be with you all here this morning to see new faces and old, and I'm looking forward to sharing a few stories about encountering. Encountering people that we might not interact with otherwise and how that changes us. The first time I saw her hands, they were open, shaking, ready to receive the bread that I took and placed in them as I bent down to reach her in her wheelchair. It was Palm Sunday at the Garden Church, a congregation in Los Angeles where we are reimagining church as we've taken an empty lot and transformed it into an urban farm and an outdoor sanctuary. She looked up at me with these clear eyes and with slightly slurred speech said, thank you. It wasn't until later over dinner when her husband had rolled her wheelchair with all of their bedrolls and their possessions on it over to our table for our shared community meal that I found out the reason for her shaking hands and her slurred speech. She'd had a stroke and her very young body, the right side of her body, wasn't working properly. When it was time for me to say goodbye that evening, I bent over again and took her hand to offer her a blessing, and her hand started to squeeze my hand. And then it squeezed it harder and harder, and she started to say, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I realized the information wasn't getting from her brain to her hand, and she didn't mean to be squeezing it that tight. Sorry, 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 she said. I said, it's okay, it's okay. She said, sorry, it's the stroke. And then with this intense focus and a deep breath, she let go of my hand. It's okay, I assured her as I gently rubbed her hand, not knowing that those very same hands would offer me a blessing just a few days later. We're talking about risks today and the failure and the courage to show up. The courage to show up and really encounter the people that we interact with. That we, yes, have something to give others, but also that others can change us. I have this honor every day that we open our gates to our church without walls to encounter people encounter people that I wouldn't interact with otherwise, and I continue to be changed by it. 
So the Garden Church is reimagining what church might look like. As we have taken an empty lot and transformed it into this urban sanctuary, a little over a year ago, we stood in an empty lot. I think it's going to come up. Yes, an empty lot in the middle of our community, right in the middle of everything, in the middle of a lot of need, in the middle of all different kinds of people, in the middle of music and questions, there was this empty void, this space. And the very first thing that we did is we took a stump, our table, our altar, and we placed it in the middle of our space. And we dedicated it, we consecrated it as our altar, as God's table where all are welcome to feed and to be fed. Because the people in our community are hungry, physically hungry, yes, but also hungry for a place of connection, hungry for a place where we can see each other, where we can encounter each other, hungry for a place where we can say, I see that you are another human being. You are valued. You are loved. You have something to offer the world. So over the last year since we've opened our gates and placed this table We've invited over 10,000 people through those gates, whether it's on our Sunday afternoon service where we work together and we worship together and we eat together, we make church together, or if it's on Fridays or Tuesdays when we open our gates and volunteers come in and work in the garden and turn the compost, or whether it's our little sprouts program, our parents and tots group, basically the cutest thing that happens at the garden church are little sprouts. It's my favorite. Um, and we have keep seeing these encounters happening that emanating out from this table, God's table where all are welcome to feed and be fed, that when people come around that, whatever the circumstance may be, we're changed as we encounter each other. I want to just tell you about a couple people who I've encountered that have changed me. The first someone, I'll call him Jerry. He came in last fall in a tattered camo shorts, a little scruffy, missing some teeth, and he wanted to water. I tell everyone who's involved, and if you've come once, you're part of the team, so you have to be part of, the, part of making church together. I say our job is to feed, yes, but our first job is to see how somebody needs to be, to to feed others, to be, to be feeding. That we all have things that we're hungry for, but we also all have things to offer. And some of the people that come through, many people come through, don't usually get encountered that way. They're usually the people who are standing in long lines with lots of paperwork to find out if they're worthy for the food or the support or whatever it is. So Jerry comes through our gates and I say, what do you like to do? Do you want to water? It's kind of the easy first thing we offer. And he said, yes, I want to water. So Jerry has become the watering expert at the Garden Church. He knows exactly how to do it, where everything is, and how that, how that works. So Jerry could come, and he was watering. And then one morning, I was sitting down at our staff and leaders meeting, and I was getting ready to go straight into the lists. And our farmer, Lara, said, just a second, I have to tell you what happened this morning. Jerry came in before you all were here, and he said, I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat yet today. And it was a Tuesday morning. We didn't have a community meal. We didn't have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but we have a garden. 
And so she said, well, I've got some cauliflower. And she went over and picked some cauliflower and some broccoli, some greens. And he ate them right there and said, thank you. I was hungry. Every time we let ourselves encounter, be with somebody else, can find that change. Now, Leah, one of our little sprouts, Leah's parents never thought that they would find a church that they would actually want to raise their child in. Until they came and encountered around this crazy church without walls, with this expansive theology, this expansive view of God, and this inclusive view of people, and a philosophy and a theological basis that they said, you know, this kind of makes sense, and this is kind of what, this is what we believe. And to the point that they came and said, we'd like to have Leah baptized here. On her baptism day, I took the water and put it on her forehead, I had this moment of encounter. And I was reminded of why we need to be church together. Why we need to create places where we can love God and love neighbor together in community. Because it's these little ones, it's these little sprouts that are growing up and need to be held and seen by people who love them and are teaching them to love God and love each other. It's the little ones in our community that don't have enough to eat and who've never planted a seed before, let alone seen that it grows into a plant and then there are snap peas and guess what? Kids like to eat green things if they grew them themselves. Did you ever even notice this? But these children need these places to be loved and seen as those precious creations of God that we all are. Helen Keller once wrote, no matter from what angle Jesus started, he always came back to the fact that he entrusted the reconstruction of the world, not to wealth or caste or the power or power or learning, but to the better instincts of the human race, to the nobler ideas and the sentiment of people to love, which is the mover of the whale and that a dynamic force of action. Jesus turned his words every conceivable way, Helen Keller writes, and did every possible work to convince doubters that love is the life of their life, the fuel of their thoughts, the breath of their nostrils, their heaven and their destruction. There is no exception or modification whatsoever in Christ's holy, awesome, supreme gospel of love. Holy, awesome, supreme gospel of love. And friends, it's this supreme gospel of love that calls us to have that courage to show up, to look somebody else in the eyes and say, I see the human being that you are. I see you as a precious creation of God. To have the courage to get out of our comfort zones. And it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to encounter people that are other than us in whatever that looks like. To get out of our comfort zones and have that courage to be changed 
by each other. It was that supreme gospel of love that I saw in action that week after my first Palm Sunday interaction with Caroline. It was Monday, Thursday, the Thursday before Easter, where we come together and celebrate that command that Jesus gave to love one another by sharing a Passover meal and by washing each other's feet. So at the Garden Church, we decided to to have this Passover service together and to invite all of our neighbors. And we so invited all of our neighbors, including taking beautiful gilded invitations out to our neighbors who are living outdoors that said, you are cordially invited to a Passover meal and foot washing service. And we got out the white tablecloths and we put flowers and spread out the bread and the lamb, greens, and people came. And we shared a beautiful meal together and shared in Holy Supper and Holy Communion. And then it came time for foot washing. And everyone was getting their, their feet, washing to their feet. And I saw Caroline sitting over in her chair. And so I went over to her and I said, would you like your feet washed? And she said, she bent down and she pulled up her jeans and she showed me her boots, which laced all the way up to her knees. And she said, laces, 20 minutes. And I said, okay, we won't take your shoes off, but would you like your hands washed instead? And her eyes lit up and she said, yes, yes, my hands. And so I invited Mary, who was doing the hand washing station over, and she washed her hands. And I came back by just as I heard Caroline asking Mary, can I wash your hands? And Mary said, oh, I already had my hands washed. And I said, I haven't. Caroline, would you wash my hands? And her face lit up again, and she said, yes, yes. And she took her hands, and you remember her hands, right? She took her hands and took my hands and, with Mary's help, carefully poured the warm water over my hands. And then she took my hand in hers and started to wash it. And she said, looked up at me and she said, what do I say? And I said, you don't have to say anything. She looked at me again and she said, no, no, what do I say? And I realized she was remembering when we shared communion, when we shared Holy Supper together, we had said words as we passed the bread and the cup. And I said, no, no, don't worry. You don't have to say anything for this part. And she said again, no, no, what do I say? And so I stopped and I thought and I said, you can say, this is how Jesus taught us to show love. This is how Jesus shows love. So as she took her weak hands and took the soap and rubbed it into my hands and lovingly caressed and washed, she said, this is how Jesus shows love. This is how Jesus shows love. This is how Jesus shows love. Friends, this is how Jesus shows love. When we are willing to have the courage to show up, to give, to receive, to encounter, and to be open to being changed. This is how Jesus shows love. This is how Jesus shows love.
may we go and do likewise. Thank you. Anna asked there, Chuck, did I make you cry? I said, yes, it's a low bar though. <laughs> so beautiful, right? You know, just beautiful to think about that. And, and, and so let's pull this all together after hearing that beautiful, beautiful sharing from Anna. So we look back, look back at this. What shifted here? Well, what shifted? Read the bottom with me. The Samaritan met God. Matthew 25, where have we seen the father? You've seen him in the widow, in the orphan, in the homeless. That's where we're called to. It's that that beautiful peace. That's what shifted in between. I don't know what the conversation was, but I know there had to have been magic that night. There had to have been magic. Imagine that sitting by someone's bed and that, and, and that peace where all of you sudden uh, you realize like, like the, the universality of the human experience, God's presence, even in the broken, even there. Just imagine the experience for that Samaritan. I think this next part is important too. Why have the courage to try? Could we say it really loud, folks? Because the encounter will change us. That's why, you know, we have to have the courage to even fail. To even fail. All Everybody under 21, raise your hand. Really listen to me. Have the courage to fail and fail well. Have the courage to fail and fail well. Have the courage to fail and fail well. Fail forward. Because what I can tell you, I cannot tell you to any of the young adults here that that life is just going to be, the graph goes up and to the right. It will not. But what I can tell you with absolute 100% assurity is that the encounter will change you. As you lean into life, the encounter will change you again and again and again. And these are words, I think, as we close this series, words for us all to live by, by T.S. Eliot. And I say this tongue-in-cheek. For us, there's only the trying. The rest is not our business. Please take a picture of that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just for us to try. Just for us to try. To try to build New Church Live. For Gloria Day, to try to serve these families this summer. For Anna to try to do this wonderful church out in California, that's what we're asked to do. That's what we're asked to do. Rest of it, none of our business. And what I do know is when we sit back, we can let those encounters, as we make those efforts, change us. So that closes our series on fail. I want to invite all of you next week. We have a beautiful Memorial Day service for you here next week. You're welcome to join us. You're welcome to tune in from the shore if that's where you're going. And we're going to close the service this way. I'm going to call in out here in a minute to thank her again. She's going to join me in a prayer. Then we're actually going to have a couple of prayer teams down here. I need, we're going to have three prayer teams. And we had two, but we have more people here today than I anticipated. So I need two volunteers. Dave and Jenny, thank you. And, uh, 
you know, we're going to have three prayer teams around. And if you want to come down, if there's something you want the courage to try, we'll just sit down here and pray with you about that. And then we're going to have a great last number as we, we move on through the service. So first part of that three thing, welcome back, Anna. Please give her a round of applause. Thanking her for coming here to meet your class. Please join us in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Lord, thank you for her words. Those reminders of what love is, what the deepest of gospel messages is. And allow us, Lord, to leave here with this. With the courage. The courage to try. Knowing that ours is not to be successful, ours is to be faithful. And that in that faithfulness, Lord, we can live with failure. We can live with success. Because this we know. We know that encounter, encounter will change us. Be with this congregation. Be with Gloria Day. Be with the Garden Church. Be with New Church Live. Be with us all. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.